Chapter Nine of *The Hall in the Grove* by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Spheres. Mrs. Chester was in her element. It gave her almost more pleasure to gather her friends about her at a select entertainment than to do anything else in life. She was so comfortably conscious that her house was the largest and pleasantest and best furnished of any in town. It was so agreeable to think that her appointments were of the nicest, her servants almost the only really well-trained ones in the neighborhood, and that her guests would be certain to go home commenting on the perfection of all the details. Why should she not enjoy giving pleasure to people? It was not a large gathering. In the first place she did not believe in crushes, and in the second place, if she had, there were not choice people enough in Centerville to fill her large parlors. She had none but choice people, so called. To be sure, the Van Martins were always invited, although Mr. Van Martin was not given, at any time, to using very choice language, and, when he was angry enough, was liable to use oaths, and was only too apt to come home frequently the worse for liquor. But then, as Mrs. Chester sweetly remarked, his wife was a most estimable woman, a perfect lady in dress and manners, and for her part she thought it uncharitable to let people suffer for the sins of their husbands. I really suppose Mrs. Chester is correct, though why, since she believed in and adopted that principle, she never invited Mrs. Barber, who lived at the foot of Van Martin's Lane, and whose husband always used good language when sober, and bought his liquor of a man who always bought it at Van Martin's wholesale house in the city, I shall not undertake to explain. On the evening of which I write, a very select company was gathered in the handsome parlors, and sociability was at its height. The ward boys were not there, certainly. Neither was Paul Adams. In fact, at that moment, he was poring over Merivale in a way that would have gratified that author. But Mrs. Fenton, in her becoming dark green silk and velvet suit, sat in a cosy corner of the room talking socially with Dr. Monteith, while over at the piano young Bennett turned the leaves of the long and intricate piece of instrumental music which Miss Amy Allison was faithfully banging, for the benefit, apparently, of aiding the conversationalists to be more confidential about their chosen themes, for it was most noticeable that none of the company, if I except young Bennett himself, was listening to the banging. Caroline was there, of course, Mrs. Chester would have felt it impossible to give a social entertainment without Caroline's presence. She appeared from time to time during the evening, now with a salver bearing cut glass goblets of water, again with ices and coffee and fruits, moving quietly, skillfully among the different groups, with such a practiced eye for details that no one of the company was allowed to realize a moment's neglect with such quiet swiftness that the business of waiting on the guests to the numerous dishes that fashion decrees necessary to an evening entertainment seemed to be gotten over with much less delay than as usual. Mrs. Fenton, watching Caroline in her dark, plain dress and linen collar and cuffs, her hair destitute of flower or ribbon now, for she was one who never added those little touches save among her friends, could not help thinking how entirely capable the girl was of sitting down beside her and enjoying Dr. Monteith's conversation. She detained her just a moment while she helped herself to fruit. 
Dr. Monteith is telling me about his visit to Rome, Caroline, and it is more interesting than Merivale. Is it? said Caroline, smiling and flushing. She would not be guilty of saying she wished she could hear it, but Dr. Monteith glanced up quickly at the name of Merivale, and said in a somewhat wondering tone, Why, good evening! It was evident that he had not recognized her before, though she had served him to coffee. I am sure you must like Merivale, notwithstanding Mrs. Fenton's insinuation. It is beautifully written, I think. I did not say that it wasn't, Mrs. Fenton replied promptly. Still, I like best to talk face to face with one who has seen for himself. Don't you think that is an improvement, Caroline? I should think it would be. And then she moved quickly away. What would Mrs. Chester think if she could see her second girl apparently carrying on a familiar conversation with Mrs. Fenton and Dr. Monteith? How is that? the doctor asked, and he looked over Caroline with a puzzled air. Who is Miss Caroline? I can't at this moment recall having heard her other name. Is she a good friend of this family, who makes herself useful? Her name is Caroline Raynor. She gets it from a great-grandfather of German extraction, I believe, and she has been Mrs. Chester's second girl for several years, and is a good friend of mine. I believe I think rather more of her than of any other young lady of my acquaintance. There was a little flush on Mrs. Fenton's cheeks that had not been there a moment before, and a bright light in her eyes. She was by no means a strong-minded woman, perhaps I mean rather a strong-hearted woman. It cost her an effort to make this avowal. It was such a long stride away from conventionality, and Centerville, like most little towns, having a vein of aristocracy in them, with little to build aristocracy out of, was very particular about the conventionalities. Dr. Monteith regarded her for a moment with a thoughtful air, and a keen glance that looked quickly and satisfactorily beneath the surface of things, and then, screened from general view as they were by the overshadowing of a large and highly ornamented fire-screen, he suddenly held out his hand. Let us shake hands over the advanced step which you have evidently taken, Mrs. Fenton, in putting real merit before the accident of position. I like that, and if I can at any time serve you in your plans, I shall be gladly at your service. I wish, said Mrs. Fenton to herself, that that was something I could tell Caroline. What a grand man he is! Dr. Monteith was not ready to let the subject drop. He cross-questioned a little concerning Caroline. Wasn't she an unusual person for her years? What had been her advantages? How had she been reduced to her present position? How had Mrs. Fenton fallen in with her? By what means had she been induced to join the CLSC? Yes, she is an unusual girl, Mrs. Fenton answered emphatically. She had never had any advantages save that of a good mother. She was not reduced in position, on the contrary she had advanced, her present place bringing her better wages and more quiet than she had ever enjoyed before. As to joining the circle, the lady said, warming with her subject, to tell you the truth, the circle joined her, at least our branch of it. She was actually struggling on alone, had commenced the course, last years, and was making a brave fight. I had to go to her for much of my information after I became interested. 
but where did she get the idea or learn of the existence of such an institution you say she has had no advantages above her present position she picked it up mrs fenton said laughing and then moved by that subtle sense of being in company with a sympathetic nature which we sometimes feel even in talking with strangers she told him the story of the faithful struggling mother and her homely watchword pick em up caroline which had held itself as a banner over the girl from her babyhood urging her forward when the brief story was concluded dr monteith sat in silence that sort of silence which can be felt mrs fenton glanced once at the clear-cut intellectual features then dropped her eyes was it possible that there were tears in his this story moves me strangely he said at last and his voice was certainly husky i had a good mother and i came up through all the younger portion of my life in a hand-to-hand -hand struggle with poverty it was about that time that young bennett first noticed the existence of caroline he studied her face doubtfully for a moment then bent his tall self to amy who had finished pounding the piano and was standing at his side where have i seen that girl who is serving those tardy people in the back parlor to fruit her face looks curiously familiar why mr bennett i am surprised at your disloyalty to our circle she is one of the prominent members ah it is in that capacity that i have seen her i remember now well what is she doing here in this position this is her legitimate position she is mrs chester's second girl mr bennett elevated his eyebrows he was a young man of fine family with high notions as regarded birth and blood and i am afraid money also he did not mean to be a simpleton but despite his usual good sense he could not help saying to the bit of silk and lace beside him upon my word things are getting somewhat mixed yes said the fair little parrot i think they are and by so much did he make caroline's road harder for her all unintentionally too for young bennett was a gentleman and having been introduced to caroline by no less responsible a person than mrs fenton had he met her on the street the next day he would have acknowledged the acquaintance by a courteous bow without reference to her position as mrs chester's servant the most dangerous people in society are the aforesaid parrots who copy without thought what they see and hear and who like the genuine parrots generally exaggerate the original miss amy allison determined then and there that she really must avoid noticing caroline again as she almost had to do the other day later in the evening mrs fenton found herself seated by her old acquaintance jack butler and it chanced that she had not held any conversation with him since the day he undertook to quench her literary aspirations under a deluge of words about the superficiality of the entire scheme he had in no sense lost his patronizing manner well mrs fenton he said turning suddenly from a younger face to give her her crumb of attention how are your hopes do you still have a longing to see a literary and scientific circle flourishing around you why jack said mrs fenton who had lost all sense of awe for the wise young man you are quite behind the times our circle is formed and flourishing is it indeed i am surprised and i congratulate you who is your presiding officer may i ask 
Upon my word, they ought to have elected you. Oh, no, we have one much better suited to the position. We honored Dr. Gilbert Monteith with that office. Dr. Gilbert Monteith? And Mrs. Fenton will always laugh when she thinks of the unbounded astonishment in Jack's voice, and the sudden way in which he came out of his graceful lounging attitude into an erect posture, and the instant dropping of his unnecessary eyeglasses to give her a genuine stare from his own honest eyes, as he said, "'Why, how on earth?' Just then occurred a diversion. It chanced that Jack's little sister Laura was a special friend of Eleanor Chester, aged six, and therefore had been permitted to come and help her small friend get in the way of her elders, and enjoy the unwonted lateness of the hour, and unlimited cake and fruit. The said Laura, having wandered away from her companion for a few minutes, and found the conversation of her elders uninteresting, had drawn a large book from the table near her, and given herself up to its fascinations, until suddenly, with the utter indifference of childhood to the interests of other people, she dashed into the midst of the conversation with a question. "'Jack, what is the Palatine?' "'Laura,' said the sage gravely, "'you should not interrupt conversation.' And Miss Laura, who had probably been told that same truth about five hundred times, patiently leaned against her brother's chair, and patiently waited while he constructed an unusually elaborate sentence, making it as long as he conveniently could, trying, meanwhile, to puzzle out for himself a reason why the eminent scholar in their midst should have seen fit to toy with this Chautauqua scheme. At the first semblance of a pause, Laura repeated her question, her eyes riveted on the outlined picture which had called it forth. "'Please tell me what the Palatine is, and where it is, and all about it, Jack.' "'Really, Laura, I think I have to petition Mother to send you into retirement, if you cannot observe better manners.' The young oracle had flushed hotly, and his tone was that which in common parlance we call cross. He was so young, and had made so little progress in the career of a scholar, that he really felt it an overwhelming disgrace to be obliged to admit to his little sister that his present ideas of the Palatine were too foggy to present to her with any degree of clearness. Indeed, so great was his present confusion, that, for the moment, he hardly knew whether the word Palatine applied to anything with which he had ever been acquainted." Part of his discomfiture was certainly caused by the knowledge of the fact that Mrs. Fenton's eyes had a mischievous smile in them, as though she were triumphing over him in some way, and he had a horror of being triumphed over. "'Oh, dear,' said the young seeker after facts, "'I wish I knew.' Then Mrs. Fenton bent forward and addressed her. "'I'll tell you, dear, it was, is, one of the seven hills of Rome, the central one,' very beautifully situated, and interesting because of a great many things which you will learn when you are old enough to study history. "'Is it near a river?' asked Laura, gazing thoughtfully at the outline. "'Oh, yes, the Tiber was just a little west of it, not more than eighteen miles away from its mouth. That doesn't look like eighteen miles, does it?' "'Is it a big river?' demanded the small investigator, as she followed with her eye the little black thread, and evidently set her imagination at work, making a majestic stream out of it. "'Rather big, at least much bigger than it looks there. It is about two hundred miles long.' 
my said laura much amazed that that small black thread could represent such a stretch of country two hundred miles seemed to her a long long journey for even a river to take laura is much obliged to you i am sure it was jack's voice but the crossness had by no means gone out of it and mrs fenton wondered in an amused way which he would like to shake laura or herself or whether he did not think both deserved it he went on with his attempt to show himself at ease she is a terror to all her acquaintances a perfect walking interrogation point it is sometimes necessary to resort to sternness in order to be relieved of the nuisance of turning oneself into an encyclopedia you are quite a historian mrs fenton i don't pretend to be well posted mrs fenton said with dancing eyes and a mouth that laughed despite her quiet answer my knowledge of history is quite superficial but i believe it is correct as far as it goes End of chapter nine